This series of Radio Rehab episodes are sponsored by Danielli's Fitness in Sonoma, California, because here at Radio Rehab, we like to support local businesses. Are you one of those? Well, Danielli definitely is. This woman has helped me take care of my mind, body, and spirit during sobriety, and I cannot thank her enough. She's located in Sonoma, but you can take Zoom classes with her whenever you want. And let me just tell you, I'm so sore right now, but in a really good way. Do it. Danielli'sFitness.com. That's D-A-N-I-E-L-L-Y-S fitness.com. Go. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. I'm an addict and alcoholic. This is a show for other addicts and alcoholics and also for their families and for anyone who knows us. If this is your first time listening, we have over 300 episodes in the bank. You can go back and listen to all of them. If you can't get to a meeting right now, which is completely understandable, you can go back and listen to any of our episodes. Please do. We welcome you. And if you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and like us because it makes me happy. gives me a reason to wake up tomorrow. This is the final installation in our series with my friend, Polly. In this episode, we discuss harm reduction, how fentanyl is 80 times stronger than heroin, the AIDS work he did, not just in California, but also in Africa, how Polly got hep C and how dangerous that disease is, and how he got involved with the needle exchange in the Bay Area. The most important part of this episode is this, all lives are worth saving. Let's join the conversation. Starting things back up, we're going to start about we're going to talk about your work with harm reduction. That's where we were. Sounds great. One thing that I had started to mention because I was talking about fentanyl, how dangerous it is. It's eighty times stronger than dope than heroin. I know. But, uh, you, you, my friend. I had a friend named. His name was Stony. That's not his real name, but that was his street name. Guitar player who died smoking it. You can, you know, and so. With COVID going on, overdoses, well, because fentanyl going on, overdoses have soared to the roof of 75,000 last year in the U.S., more than in all, almost twice as much as in all of Vietnam. Yeah. Every year that's happening, it's avoidable deaths. And um, so this is a word of warning, if you know people that use it, smoking fentanyl, you can totally overdose and die. And he was a longtime opiate user who knew how to use safely, but he thought because he was just smoking it that he wouldn't die because you know you're really not going to die from smoking overdose smoking chiva i don't think yeah not, you know but smoking fentanyl boom dead yep all right so um i um i had been doing aids work for five years and doing trainings and I, I hadn't gone to africa yet but i was doing trainings and all this stuff and supervising on um the state aids hotline for california which was the only we took a hundred thousand calls a year and I trained everybody how to do that and all this stuff. They took me under their wing, the early people at this place, until I was a talker. Um, anyway, um, I learned about needle exchange. And I had been to needle exchange, but when I was using it, it wasn't around that much. And I used to share needles all the time. And it's a miracle that I didn't have HIV, AIDS, but I did have hep C. And it was really devastating for me. And it's a much deadlier disease than HIV. 
is what the last I checked, I think there was 31.1 million people in the world with HIV and they're guessing as much as 150 to 2 million with hep C. And until just a couple of years ago, there was no money for hep C. I think there's a lot of systematized stigmatism against drug users. And it's is everybody pretty much, well, not everybody, but are the majority of people with hep C drug users? Like, is it a thing for people to have hep C if they don't use? Well, they, up until, I used to know this number, but they didn't know, what it, oh, I do know the number. Prior to 1992, 28 years ago, they didn't know what it was. It was called non-A, non-B. They didn't know shit about it. Oh. Anybody who had a blood transfusion prior to 1992 is at huge risk and is very likely, likely to have hep C. So you had this whole baby boomer thing. But um, it's the blood-borne virus only. And um, like intravenous drug users, boom. But it's, so, it's just such a virulent disease that people can get it from... You don't have to actually share the needle. You can just get a speck of it, you know? Right, because you and I were talking about that, like sharing cottons, sharing cookers. Like, it's, it's all dangerous. Let's yeah, more, more people get stuff. it from, from that than sharing needles because they know not to share needles. Right. But they don't, you know. Right, but you know, nobody says, well, I mean, people do say if you pay attention, but it's not really common knowledge, especially like when you're just on the streets or living in a shooting gallery like I was, you mm -hmm. know? Nobody talks about the cookers. No, they don't talk about the cookers and they double dip in them. Yeah. Uh, I know, I know. Yeah. So hep C is a really deadly disease is my point. And I probably got it early in my injecting career when I lived in Atlanta, when I was shooting. The first thing that I shot a lot was Coke. And so when I was shooting Coke, I'm sure I got it back then because I was told that my liver damage and hep C was so advanced when I finally did test that I had to have had it for a long time. And that's what they guessed. Because you know we used to just pass it around a room yeah. In fact, on tour on the East Coast, we would do this thing where in the bathroom, you know, they have like, I guess it's like styrofoam or something. It's like white and it's divided into pieces in the roof. And yeah. on the, the one above the toilet on the right was where we kept the syringe. A different, uh, there was a couple of guys from different bands. Me and my other buddy used to leave it up there and just leave it for the next guy. So these syringes were like big ballpoint pens. And oh we would just keep, it was crazy, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I, I started learning about um, harm reduction doing the AIDS work, and then I wanted to do hep C work. There was no good medicines for it, and I wanted to be a, add hep C education and overdose prevention to the AIDS trainings I was doing. So I did that in 2002. So I had all these years from 97 to 2019 of doing AIDS work, and from 2000 to 2019 doing harm reduction work, like hep C and overdose prevention and so that that's been really cool and I, I i i got to go to the ukraine doing that and to london to do trainings and speak about that and all over the country which is cool i saved 13 people from overdosing um from death who were by just by having narcan and i used to work for them part-time in the early days when they thought we were evil for saving people so i want to talk about harm reduction and recovery because it's really difficult and yeah, I think it's an but. important subject, which is that we get to choose our own God, our own higher power, our own spirituality. But my God does not only love sober people. To me, God loves everybody. And we're all his children. And there's people on the far end of AA and on the far end of harm reduction that have this tremendous antagonism towards each other. Really, it's kind of vicious. And I haven't 
I really keep them both at arm's length because they both save millions of lives. Not everybody's going to get sober. Like I said, there's almost 8 million people in the world. We're like snowflakes. <laughs> We're all different, you know? Yeah. So somebody doesn't get sober, they're not worth saving their life. Yeah. And also, how are they ever, let's say that they might get sober, which a lot of people start with, you know, you can't get a dead person into recovery. Yeah. And whether they get sober or not, that's somebody's kid. Yeah. Absolutely. I know. And uh, there's just so much mental health issues going on in the streets and when they're using and they don't know which way is up. And it's not like I, not that they're completely not that they're victims of the situation, but it's not their fault. Like addiction isn't something you choose to have. It's not a moral issue. And I got to tell you something else. The family thing. You can have not a trace of addiction or alcoholism in your family tree going back a thousand years, but you do dope or fentanyl for a month, your ass is strung out and your ass is addicted. Yep. So it's beyond the family thing and it goes much bigger. And um, it's a, you know, that's that. But I gotta tell you, those, these, everybody, every life is worth something. I'm here to tell you that just sober people aren't the only people that are worth saving. You know, and whether these people get sober or not, it's not my business. I'm not the be all. I'm just another speck out of the eight million specs, you know. But to, to like, I've had people in AA and say, "Well, I said, I said once at this meeting that you know I saved thirteen people," and they were like, "Well, they're still using." And I said, "I don't know, maybe." And they said, "But they're still using." And I said, "So you're gonna let them die?" Yeah, but and I had so much antagonism both within AA and within harm reduction for being sober on one side and for practicing harm reduction on the other. And I got to tell you, it's really not it's not constructive. On the one hand, the people that I see that do the best empirically, like the lies improve the most of the people that get sober. On the other hand, the other people, I don't believe in just letting people hit bottom. I believe every human deserves kindness and compassion and care. And like I said, that's somebody's parent, somebody's kid, somebody loves that person, probably way more than us, somebody. Uh-huh. And you, can, you can't just let people die and not, provi- and not treat them with decency and compassion. Yeah. And you know what? Aren't we supposed to practice these principles in all our affairs? Remember what I said about the last line, the closer, the big song? Yeah. That's what it says. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you were always just completely like kind and loving. Like when I was, you know, when I was strung out and going to the needle exchange, which was where I met you. And mm. I always wondered, was it was it ever triggering to work there? Or yes. Or did it look make it look so bad with the abs? Every time I came in there, I had a different abscess problem. So I was like, uh-huh. I bet nobody wants to be like me. But but yeah, so it was triggering. It was both. Okay. But it's both triggering and a turn off. But Come on, I'm an addict, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, but, yes. you know, but I, um, and you know, I would have gone, I started AIDS work in 97, 98, and my sponsor, Stevie, who I talked about, I said that I was working half time with benefits and I was having to work other jobs and trying to, and playing music again, you know? And I said, I can get a full time job in the needle exchange. And he goes, Yeah, really? I said, Yeah, that's great. And he goes, You know, I see you staring at people's arms at meetings. Tell you what, if you're not thinking I could hit that, take the job. And I just looked at him and went, oh, fuck's sake. Because it's exactly what I was thinking. I That's stared at like people's veins all the time. And he me said, too. he made me wait two years. But you know what? I did what he said. I did what he yeah. said because I knew that it was going to be hard, but I wanted to do it. And I wanted to make use of all that misery and all those years of being 
I can say it about me, addicted. You know, yeah. being strung out on the street for eight years with with on um, Hep C with cirrhosis from Hep C, which I had twice. You know, and um, I wanted to make use of that to try to provide care for others, and I was able to do that. And that's what got me through was you know, I was making use of those experiences, and I kept my program strong throughout because I knew that I needed to. Yeah, because like, yeah, the more you're around, the more you have to keep your program strong and the more you have to like build up all the mental defenses and stuff. Right. And I never suggested AA to anybody. Not my place. If they, if they brought it up to me, I was on it because I built like the first I built the first Hep C treatment program at a needle exchange. Definitely in the country, but may probably in the world. I don't know. Definitely in the, the country. Sixth Street one? It was at Sixth Street. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm and I got a nurse practitioner partner who's amazing, and we built this thing that would just kick butt. And they're gonna do it all over now. And we broke a bunch so of rules, cool. but we did harm reduction. We did the right thing and apologized later. But that I was able so cool. to have the clients help, like help navigate each other, because I had been there and I knew what they were going through. And um, I, the thing about Hep C is, is that it works so slowly. Life on the streets is so hard and life being strong on just staying well, as you know, is so hard. Hi. And Hep C works really slowly. You don't know how much it's screwing with you and destroying you until it's gone. You know, and the new meds are so good that within a month you feel it's usually clear. You know oh, what I mean? No. And yeah. clear, clear, not cured yet, but two months it's cured. But uh and then people feel better. So we built this, this nurse practitioner. I built this wonderful program where people had secondary goals because they didn't know, but I knew they were going to feel better in a month. And these people all trusted me because they knew me either from the street or from doing needle exchange from all these years from having been there out yeah. there in the rain and everything, you know? And um, so they, they trusted me. So we had this packed, wonderful thing going on. And it was an honor to do even though we got in trouble for it, but uh, it was an honor to do. But now that's why good things happen. You break the rules, do the right thing no matter what, and eventually the right thing will work out. But see, you have to start by breaking the rules. People had to protest and raise hell to get AIDS meds and have AIDS be noticed, you know? Yeah. We started this country over taxes and tea. You know, <laughs> if we can start a country over that, I think we could start, a, start programs based over giving people decent care. <laughs> Why did you get in trouble for doing that C work? I, I, I don't want I can't go into okay, it. I'll tell like you it. privately. Okay. Okay. You know, we weren't supposed to be treating people at the needle exchange. We oh, did it was. anyway. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the guy, the, the nurse practitioner that did it, did it on his day off and he didn't tell me cause I wouldn't have let him, you know, but he did it on his day off and he was a miracle worker, an amazing guy. It would not happen without him. Oh, you know, we were, we were partners. It was when I say I was, my idea, but he came up to me one day. I had all these doctors that said, that's a great idea. I just don't have the bandwidth. And he came up and said, I was thinking I'd like to da-da-da. And I was like, okay, be here tomorrow at 10, you know? But um, so it was it was a two-person job. That's so cool. And you got to see a it lot of cool. cover. I did. And you know what? Best. So many people, like that, I had them pick a secondary goal because I knew they'd feel better in a month. And it was to be the first. And I said, pick another goal to work on while you're taking your pills for a couple months. And um, the, the, the main goal wasn't housing, which shocked me. The main goal was getting back in touch with their families Aww. and their kids because they had something positive to report and getting their kids back and stuff like that. More, they were, they were, it was more important to them to go back to their families or their children healthier and having accomplished something than it was to sleep indoors. Blew my mind. 
blew my mind. You know, and I had to do the work for 20 years and I still learned something new. And, you know, life, if you, if you don't ever stop learning, I think that it's better for us. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When you become unteachable, you're fucked pretty much. <laughs> that's like the end. <laughs> yes, that is much. That's a much more accurate and concise way of putting that. Yeah. <laughs> Albeit not eloquent, but, you know. <laughs> oh, I know. Simplicity is eloquent. Simplicity <laughs> is eloquent. I do want to say that Narcan is easy to do. You just spray it up people's damn noses. I say 13 people that were 13 children of somebody's. Yeah. They were blue and not breathing dead. And they came. And so you can get Narcan for free if you're at Kaiser. Just ask them for it. And they'll give it to you. you Narcan's easy to get. I think Absolutely. everybody should carry Narcan. There's no reason 75,000 innocent people should die every year. When all you got to do is spray it up their nose, you know? Yeah. I mean, it used I mean, to come with a big honking needle. Remember that? It came with a big needle. It was a muscle needle. Yeah. It was a traveler. Yeah, I save people with that. <laughs> I but mean, you know yeah. the thing about it was you don't have to find a vein with it. you just stick it yeah, through your clothes exactly it's yeah you know exactly but the point that's still it's easy to save these lives and it's um it's up to the community to save the community yes you know exactly. i had a cop come get narcan from me many years ago it was a cop that had arrested me when i was using oh my god and he came and he said he knew i was sober when he saw me i was doing i started a needle exchange out of my car on 16th and mission which got to be really big eventually. But uh, he came up and he asked me all these questions and I, we were looking at each other warily and I was like, oh, and then we recognized each other. We're like, oh. And then, but he ended up getting some Narcan and he came back like about a month later and said he had saved somebody on Cap Street. Oh. Yeah, and he had saved them. We used to have this saying in the 90s, which was nothing good happens on Cap Street. That's right. Well, I, we call it the host roll. That's what me and the girls call it. There him. you go. That's there where you work on Cap Street. He saved this person. He busted me on Cap Street and he saved that person's life on Cap Street. <laughs> you know? Yes. For everyone listening, Cap Street is in the Mission District in San Francisco and it's it's a notorious street, to say the least. Nothing good happens on Cap Street. Every, city, every on city's Cap. got one. I think it's nicer now. It's nice, but that's not saying much, but you know. Yeah, not saying much at all. <laughs> no. So, yeah, you know, um, during COVID, overdose numbers have soared. And I think once things get back to normal, it's going to take a while to break that curve. So I urge everybody, you know, if you, if you care enough about other people, maybe get some Narcan and carry it. It's pretty easy. So and also, if you live with somebody who has injected drugs, HIV lives outside the body for a matter of seconds. Well, I mean, it is infectious in fluid outside the body. Maybe 30 seconds, maybe not, maybe 15. Hep C can live a minimum of four days. So you could use somebody's nail clipper who has Hep C, who shot something 20 years ago one time and is carrying Hep C because it moves so slowly and contract it. So... Why not? If you ever have any contact with somebody, nail clipper, because, you know, the nail clipper toothbrush thing is not, it's not like it's possible. So it's getting hit by lightning for HIV, but for right. FC, it's a very real possibility. So get tested. Why not? Carry Narcan, save a life. Why not? Absolutely. No. Absolutely. And maybe the life you save will be somebody that you see in the rooms and maybe they won't, but you know what? They'll have the chance. 
Yeah. There's nothing better than that. Like there's nothing but like, I mean, I could see it in people's eyes when like they would see me in the rooms after I had been used and they were like, Oh my God, you're here. I can't believe you're here. Like welcome. Right. I know. And I feel the same way when I see someone like it's only happened like a handful of times uh, when I was in San Francisco that I would see somebody that I knew from like the hood, like 16th admission come to come to a meeting and it was just it was the greatest it was like, it's a great feeling we're both here <laughs> yeah we made it we lived we fucking you know? lived. yeah it's I a great know. feeling it really is yeah well and, i just um, want thank you so much for the work you do i just have to say thank you so much for the work you do because we need you yeah we it's full it. circle right now i'm back to playing music and writing songs i'm not i'm doing some consultant work but um I, uh, I've come full circle. I'm writing songs and stuff, you know. COVID made me think about mortality a lot uh, because yeah. I have some health issues and I'm not young anymore. So it's, it's really good to be in the process. You got to have be doing something that you love. I think it's real important. Yep. So there's that. Absolutely. Well, hey, thank you so much for being on the show, Polly. This was great. I knew it would be great, and it was. So, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to see you as always. Thanks so much to Polly G for being on Radio Rehab this week. I cannot thank him enough, and thank you so much for listening. Stick around for when producer Shar and I drop a deuce on your heads. It'll probably be a Christmas deuce, so does that mean it'll be green? Oh my God, I'm sorry I'm being gross. Happy holidays, and keep coming back. And don't die, because you don't have to. We're here for you. If you want to be on the show or you know anyone who should be on the show, please contact us. The email is radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. That's go-toproductions.com. You can also call or text 415-496-9511, even when we're not in studio. And on all the socials, it's at Radio Rehab Dana, D-A-Y-N-A. 